Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to Smoke Show. This is Claire. Um, today, this week, this episode, we're going to be talking about The Real Housewives. Not, I'm not going to recap a season. I'm not going to like really talk about any specific episode for um, a long time or anything like that. If you've never seen The Housewives, I think I'm hoping that this will actually be still listenable. Like you won't need to know exactly who I'm referring to. I'm going to try to give as much context as possible without going overboard. When it comes to reality television, I think I've made it very clear that I take it somewhat seriously. Like I, I think you can't ignore the largest cultural like shift in television that's come about really since like the invention of television. Like we we've always like there have been big leaps throughout time in terms of like sitcoms and we developed the TV tropes that exist now. And I think that's really interesting. I think the history of television is fascinating. It's one of the most, you know, consumed things it's referenced so often. I think TV has become even more important. Now there's so much TV that like you really have to pick what you watch because there's just too much of it. You can't consume all of it. You know, I feel like I've watched a lot of TV shows through GIFs on Tumblr. I don't know if that's like a universal experience for anybody else who's been on Tumblr, but you'll just, you'll see a show enough. Like I have not seen a single episode of Better Call Saul. I can tell you, I think everything that's happened in that entire, like I've read so many analyses. I've seen so many GIFs. I know how it ended. There's no, you know, there's like, I don't believe in spoilers. This is, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast yet. I don't believe that spoilers make things worse. In fact, it's like scientifically proven, if you want to get into it that way, that spoilers do not diminish your enjoyment of a story. And I am somebody who like rewatches things way more often than I'm going to watch new media because new media is a risk. I might not like it. I'm trying to zone out. I'm not trying to learn a new thing. I just want like the same, you know, like if I am interested in watching a new show, it's like a whole investment. I think there are certain shows that I have decided are really watchable. And like when a new season comes out, I am I am there and I am excited. It's been a long time since I watched something week to week. I'm trying to think of the last thing I did that with. And it might have been like Vanderpump Rules which is really interesting. I had not put that together, but I think that was like, that was the last time I went on like, I'll be honest, I didn't pay for this one. Oh, The Bachelor, The Bachelor I watch week to week. But that's also because I like do it with my friend and like we make bingo that's like not, it's like joke bingo, but like specific jokes. Like we kept thinking that there was going to be a crushed velvet dress last season. And I don't think there ever was. And we put that thing on that bingo every night. Also, I don't think Caitlin Bristow, while hosting, ever called anybody a hottie. I think she did once and we didn't have it on the bingo card and then she never did it again. Uh, anyway, The Bachelor I watch week to week. So that's a lie. I do consume some media pretty regularly on a weekly basis. I have even paid for like YouTube TV, like whatever cable package I can get just to watch The Bachelor, like when it's happening. Bars in New York, please show The Bachelor. It's better than a sports game. I promise. I'll come. I'll drink champagne. It'll be a fun-themed night. We can make bingo. <laughs> but um, anyway. Anyway, The Housewives. <laughs> I think the reality television, I, I this is where it started from. Reality television should obviously be taken as seriously as anything that is regularly consumed by a uh, massive amount of people should be. And I think that the Housewives franchises are, like, I am not here to say that the, that any of the production choices, um, the like, are are good. I think Bravo is a is a network that I'm often kind of disappointed by their actions. I think they often put people in pretty, like, I don't want to say like unsafe situations, but like we'll get into some of the ethics dilemmas that I have with like entire franchises and seasons because um, I guess the good time to do a content warning. There will definitely be discussions of domestic violence and abuse um, in relation to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I can try to even like put a timestamp down below of like if you don't want to listen to that um, skippable time, I'll definitely like be pretty specific before I get into it. Um, Beverly Hills also definitely has some pretty open ED stuff um, as far as like eating disorders and um, like actual encouragement of them and discussion on the show. Uh, New York, I don't know. I don't think there's any like specific abuse in New York, but there is like alcoholism. Like the, the show is like the thing about the Real Housewives is like I don't think they got enough credit for like how much they are really willing to show and how vulnerable the women really are like on camera a lot with each other and with the audience because it, like it's one of those franchises that is now so um, 
so established in culture. Like Real Housewives is the place that where women like having random songs that they've decided to record comes from. Like Countess Luann, trailblazer in her own right, was the, like, it's wild, but she was, I think, like, the first one on television to just, like, rent a recording studio and pay somebody a ton of money to auto-tune her voice. And Money Can't Buy You Class is an instant hit. It is an iconic song. Uh <laughs> I, I honestly, I sing it a lot. It's a, it's a great reference. Um, and it gave us my favorite 30 rock line of all time, which is Angie saying my single, my single is dropping is dropping. Uh, my single is called my single is dropping and it's dropping. Perfect joke. No joke is better than that. But also then in Atlanta, there's like a woman who's a real music producer who produced like TLC and like other famous bands, Candy Burris. And she ended up producing a song for one of the women on the show. And then it becomes a whole season long arc because she didn't get paid for that production. And you got to pay your producers. Uh, But like that became such a trope and staple of reality TV. And I think there's so many like that that come from the housewives And I think the housewives gets dismissed, obviously, and it gets seen as, like, women fighting. And Guy Branham has a great joke about that where he talks about comparing, like, watching housewives to watching football. And he's like, here's the thing. I like to know why they're fighting. That, like, in football, people are just hitting each other. And you're telling me it's because they're rivals and it's a game. But, like, in housewives, I'm watching people, like fight with their words and I have seen every single piece that's built up to it and so I have a deeper understanding of what's going on I think housewives is a really interesting litmus test for like whose side do you take and like what issues do you have with like the politics of the show like either the politics literally within like the women themselves or the fact that like the shows like are segregated like can we talk about how weird that is that bravo was just like no it's okay we'll just have white casts and we'll have casts entirely made up of black women and we'll really not have much cross diversity like people make fun of friends for being a show that exists in an all-white new york the real housewives of new york took 13 seasons to cast a single black woman and to like really like show any person of color on the show who was not literally working for one of the women like it is atrocious that they got away with it for as long as they did and I don't think they got a lot of pushback and I think what Bravo did is like the Real Housewives of Atlanta is one of the most watched shows of all time like it is one of the most tuned into live shows and the fact that I think it's often seen as like not one of the major players of Bravo is like just such a fuck it's so gross and like when Potomac came about like What's interesting is, like, because they have had now, like, a few different cities where they have cast, like, I think, is is Salt Lake one of the most, like, diverse shows they've ever had from the get-go? Like, I think it is. Like, in terms of just, like, yeah, that's wild. Like, the fact that The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City was really, like, the first cast that was, like, fully integrated when it aired and it aired two years ago, like kind of unacceptable. I'm not going to lie. Like Bravo. And I mean, like the the other thing is like these housewives have had their fair share of scandals in terms of most of them are Republicans. So there is a season of New York that is extremely tough to watch because it turns out that all of them are not necessarily voting for Hillary. And then you have Carol, Carol Radswell in the corner freaking the fuck out about the fact that they're all fucking Republicans. And she's sitting there like, how did I end up on this show? I'm Carol fucking Ranswell. Which is, I think, how Carol felt by the time she left the show. Um, But anyway, uh, I think that, like, just above all, showing women in their 60s now, a lot of housewives are, like, much older, um, especially in New York, um, on television who go through friendship up and downs, who talk about menopause pretty openly, who talk about like their kids moving out and going to college and like adjusting to this next phase in life. But also the fact that like it's a really fascinating thing to look at that most of the housewives who started on the show, they started married and a lot of them have been divorced on the show. And you can see it kind of happen over and over again because, like, you have to imagine that, like, these women, they were housewives. They married to stay home and raise kids and, like, be taken care of by their husband. And that is what they signed up for. And they are, like, it is 
called The Real Housewives. It was based on Desperate Housewives. This is back when Bravo was basing all of their reality shows just on something else. But that was what was happening. Laguna Beach was based on the OC. And then in the OC, they had a fake Laguna Beach that was like, it was a whole thing. They even had a meta episode where the kids went down to like the fake OC Laguna Beach show and we're like on it or like one of them hooked up with one of the cast members honestly the oc is a wild rewatch um and i don't think i got through season i like skipped all of the oliver episodes because like weird and creepy um but then i like wasn't i just i don't know by season three i was like this is this show is so melodramatic and then season four doesn't feel anything like the rest of the show but i kind of love it i'll be honest uh, but one of the reasons I knew I probably wasn't going to get along with one of my college roommates is that she only had the OC season three on DVD. And I was like, of all of the seasons, that's OK. And then, yeah, we just like we were very opposite personalities. Like she was a business major and like regularly just accidentally drank vodka out of her water bottles during the week. But anyway, um, she was a sophomore. She hated that she was roomed with. Uh, the two freshmen that she was roomed with. And to be fair, we only became friends because we both mutually hated our third roommate, who was a violin major, who constantly closed the windows, even though it was fucking boiling in our room. And she used to kick us out for like six hours at a time and like be really like cutesy about the fact that she would call it a sex aisle. But it was like for her boyfriend coming up from Buffalo High School. Anyway, this is a different tangent. Freshman year at college was a wild time for me. But the Real Housewives, um, I didn't I didn't get into them until a little bit later. I feel like I just I don't love yelling. And I feel like I thought that it was a bunch of yelling. And like, obviously, the later seasons, because they really start to lean into that kind of stuff, like there is a lot of fighting. But I think like the thing is, you often know why they're fighting. And I think it is obviously overdramatic. But like a lot of times also, they're drunk. Like, we're going to talk about the alcoholism on Real Housewives. Some of it is named. Some of the drug use is also named, which is fascinating. And um, yeah, like there are women who have been openly in recovery who then relapse on the show. It's very, I don't think that this kind of stuff like exists on other shows in the same capacity. And I think that's like a real boon for the housewives. I think it's why it's so inherently watchable. Showing women throughout all stages of their life happens on the show. And there's so many different, on different franchises, they kind of have different age ranges. And like, what's interesting about the Real Housewives of New York is like, not a one of them is fucking like married anymore or has kids in the house. Like they have not been housewives for a long time. Which is fine. It's really fucking interesting. But it's why them kind of being like, oh, we're going to have two real housewives. Like I have said for a long time that what they should have done is done real housewives of Brooklyn and real housewives of New York and just kept legacy Roni as it was because nobody really had a problem with the fact that none of them were housewives because holy shit, can Dorinda Medley really carry a scene? Uh, But (laughs) real housewives of Brooklyn could have taken place like, Oh, one of my favorite all-time caddy articles. I think it's a New Yorker article about like the Park Slope elementary schools. Like there is so much shit happening in Brooklyn. And let's just get into Roni because Roni is my all-time favorite of all the housewives. I just, it's so different from the other ones, but I love, obviously I live in New York, so I love New York. Um, And it, so it was originally a show called Manhattan Moms. And I think that that is like a very different vibe than Real Housewives of New York. And they have in seasons like one through four, it's kind of mostly one cast. They add a few members to it. And Bethany Frankel leaves after season three, I think, to go to um, Bethany getting married and like her whole spinoffs. She eventually comes back to the show. She is the founder of Skinny Girl, which I cannot believe that that company is still called Skinny Girl in the year 2022. Um, But anyway... Uh, but it was called Manhattan Moms and like Alex McCord lives in Cobble Hill in Brooklyn and has like a, a beautiful townhouse. And you can so tell that it's 2008 when this airs because all of the women are like, you live in Brooklyn? Disgusting. Nobody lives in Brooklyn. Um, I, it, it feels like when in Sex and the City, Miranda is moving to Brooklyn and everybody's acting like she dies. It's like they have not aged a day. You know what I mean? Like it's the same exact conversation that they're having. But when you look at Alex's house now, it's like, that thing was like a $3 million townhouse in Cobble fucking Hill in 2008. Like, if she and Simon sold that, they are probably still living on that money. And they are still together. And now they live in Australia. And they are a weird couple. But they are definitely destined for each other. But what was funny is that it was a very 2008. So, like, Alex and Simon's kids are called Johan and... Johan face? Johan and Francois. Because at one point, Jill Zarin is like, what about... 
Joe and Frank. <laughs> She's trying to look. But like that was the trend in naming your kids in Brooklyn at the time. And Alex and Simon were really interesting to watch on the first two seasons in particular because they were pretty open about the fact that they were trying to social climb. And I think like you have to imagine this is like 2008. So this is right around the writer's strike. So this is really the boom of reality television because the writer's strike of 2008 is one of the major reasons that so much reality television started getting produced because they didn't need writers because even though there are writers on reality television, they're called like story editors and stuff like that because they're not actually scripting anything. So that's how they got around the writer's strike. And that's why there's such a boom in 2008 of unscripted television. Uh, So... So Alex and Simon are pretty open about social climbing, but it offers this really interesting insight into what it takes to social climb in New York City and how they're kind of doing it. So it sh- the show shows them um, going to the New York City Ballet and then like opening the the paper the next day to see if they're in the society pages. And it's like New York is such a wild fucking place that we still have something like the society pages. Like the idea that New York is still kind of full of people who can be referred to as like the glitterati. Fascinating. I love debutante culture in New York. I love the fact that Tinsley Mortimer, the most probably like named New York it girl of the early 2000s, ends up kind of coming back around and popping back up on The Real Housewives. And her whole arc was very interesting because it really felt like she was kind of stuck in the year 2008. And she had one of the worst reality shows of all time, which was brand new on The CW, Um, This is when the CW was brand new. (laughs) The show was brand new on the CW. This was when the CW was new. So this was, again, like, I want to say it was, like, 2008. Like, it was early. It used to come on after Gossip Girl. It was called High Society. And Tinsley had just left Topper, who is um, Topper Mortimer, who was her first husband. I don't know that she's been married again. She's been engaged a few times. I don't know that she's been married. But Topper and her were, like, boarding school sweethearts. Like, this is the level of, like, you know, rich East Coast elite shit we're dealing with. It's, like, boarding school sweethearts who, like, eloped at, like, 17. And then their parents made them a nullet. I don't know if it was legal or not. But, like, they, they eloped when they were very young. And then they got legally married when they were, like, 20. Like, they were very young together. And then he's, like, an oil tycoon kid. And she was a wealthy, like, Southern-ish. I think her mom's from Florida. I don't know exactly where Tinsley's from. But Tinsley Mortimer, what a name. And she started climbing the social ranks in New York. And this is at a time where there was also this, like, incredible socialite ranking site that, like, really rattled the New York scene. Because websites like that, like, were kind of new. This was, like, before social media. So it was really just, like a gossip site where these two people, it turned out, would just post, like, rumors that they had heard about the debutantes. And this is how Olivia Palermo, who was eventually on the hills, and Tinsley ended up being, like, mortal fucking enemies because there was all these rumors that Olivia was going after Tinsley. I will try to find the write-up about, like, NewYorkSocialite.com, like, outing themselves because it was such a mystery who it was for years. And people thought it might have been Olivia, but then they, like, ended up publishing some stuff they shouldn't have published. Um, but Tinsley left her husband and like during when she was kind of at the height of her fame, like she was on Gossip Girl as an it girl. I keep talking about Gossip Girl, but it was a really big cultural institution, especially in New York. And I think she really got a taste of fame. She was like on covers like she was really like she was a household name in a way that I don't think a debutante has been for a very long time. And she was it was interesting that the New York social scene was kind of being taken like nationally seriously again and then she left her husband she tried to marry like a german prince or something and like she's she's just felt like tinsley's been kind of adrift ever since but there is a scene in high society where all of her friends and her mom and her mom's name is dale and dale is an icon um dale shows up in the real housewives of new york and i was truly like it was like a celeb sighting when i saw dale uh, <laughs> but her, so all of her friends are supposed to bring guys that they're like we could set you up with him like it's like a valentine's day brunch or something i have not seen the show in years i literally the last time i saw it it was like in fuzzy like 360p fucking clips on youtube (laughs) this show has never been released because it is bad um and tinsley is like barely a star in it and like her sister's a star but her sister's awful and all of her friends are like deeply weird and like somebody yeah there's like it's just a very bad show i wouldn't recommend it um but anyway all of tinsley's friends have brought suitable bachelors for her and her mother has printed out a very large picture of her ex-husband. This is like months after their divorce. And is like, the guy I think you should be with is Topper. 
And it is, it Tinsley just like breaks down sobbing. And it is one of, like, it is not, it is so funny in hindsight that her mother did this, but it is like uh, the relationships that you see between mothers and daughters. Jill, bringing it back to Real Housewives early seasons, you see Jill Zarin's mother be awfully cruel to her about her daughter's body because Jill had a fucking killer body. She just had really big boobs. And so she often looked quite like top heavy on camera. And like, this is all to say, like, that the camera is also not really capturing Jill in all of the best ways. So like her mom and her go to a dress store like early on and she's wearing some clothes and the designer is literally trying to stick up for Jill because they're like good friends and he just feels so bad. And you can tell that he's like, oh my God, stop talking about your daughter that way. But her mom is like, like her mom is this tiny little old lady sitting on the couch just being awful about her mom's, her daughter's body. And then Jill turns around and is like, pretty fucking awful to her 14 year old daughter Allie about her body and it's just truly like oh my god the generational drama um and Allie what a good sport what a good fucking sport to be one of the early Real Housewives kids because I think like you didn't know right like the Real Housewives of OC was out but it wasn't that popular it was popular enough to warrant a spinoff but this is when like Real Housewives of OC was still getting sent like tops that they all were wearing but they weren't getting paid like sponsorship money this is again pre-social media Barely Facebook was open to the public, like non-college users in the year like 2008. So like kids were on Facebook, but like adults were not like social media was not prevalent in these people's lives. And so like a lot of the Real Housewives of OC started this entire trend of sky tops. And it was just because the company was smart enough to send them a bunch of tops and they all wore them in their confessionals. And then women were like, oh, they look great in those. I would also like to dress like I am a housewife in the OC. And that's how that worked. So I was saying something about Rahoni, though. Jill, her like um, real. Oh, they didn't know what they were getting into. Like, I think now um, if you listen to Game of Roses, which is a like gameplay breakdown podcast of The Bachelor, this is some like, you know, double layered shit here. Um, they talk, they talk about this thing. Hannah Ann Sluss was a contestant on Pilot Pete season and she was kind of, they call her a professional player because she really knew what she was doing. And I will say that girl knew exactly what she was doing. She's got over a million Instagram followers now. She's dating a Rams football player. Like she was there at the Super Bowl last year when they won Boone for Hannah Ann. And she really like did Bachelor well. I think if COVID hadn't happened and you know, all this other stuff, she probably would have either gone on paradise or like been the bachelorette like she was a very good interesting person on television she was very young though when she was on peter's season but peter's season was fucking weird anyway um Sleucian protocol is uh what they call her saying we know what we were getting into or we know what we signed up for i'm so sorry this story is like three layers deep but basically one time a girl on the bachelor said we know what we signed up for in relation to the fact that like the guy is gonna have sex with all three of them in the fantasy suites and one of the girls on that season maddie pruitt who is now engaged to a texas oil billionaire's son whose name is like chance trout or something and they had a whole sponsored Amazon Prime announcement of their engagement because we're living in a simulation. But he's a billionaire's son. Why do they need this money? How much is Amazon Prime paying Maddie Pruitt, who is now, by the way, obsessed with footing? The silliest little inspirational quotes. Like, I appreciate that she's trying to do a thing, but like, also, she wants to be a preacher. Um, her whole thing has been very like Jesus focused, even since the season. Like the reason that Hannah Ann says we know what we signed up for is because uh, Maddie waits until she basically gets to fantasy suites and then gives Peter the ultimatum that he can't sleep with anybody else or be physical because she's a virgin and she's not going to do that. And if he does that, she can't be with him. And she was obviously the winner until that moment. And then he chooses Hannah Ann and then it was very messy. But Hannah Ann really managed to come out on top of that one. Uh, but now Maddie's engaged to this guy. She's known him for six months. Um they said the word swag too much in their Amazon Prime. They were not referring to like gifts that like swag bags. It was deeply uncomfortable. It was very Bella Hadid saying like homeboy can get it. And Bella Hadid ties into the fucking housewives because Yolanda is on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills season like three, four, five. She's married to David Foster. It's a whole thing. You see her be pretty fucking horrific with her, um, Spoiler, or not spoiler, um, trigger warning for, like, ED discussions. You see her be pretty fucking awful to her kids about ED. Like, it's, uh, it is, like, early days of Gigi Hadid and Bella modeling. Like, I don't even think they really show Bella modeling that much on the show, but Gigi is definitely, like, the star of the campaigns and stuff. And, like, 
Yolanda has some really awful things that she says about Gigi's body. Gigi's like one day really excited because it's her birthday. And she's like, I get to eat cake. And Yolanda's literally sitting there like one bite, Gigi. And Gigi at one point is like really sick. And Yolanda's like, have three almonds and chew them really well. And it's like Yolanda was a model. So like she's just passing on the information that she knows. But it just goes to show how damaging that kind of like diet culture rhetoric is. And then like her kids were all like mysteriously ill and she claims it was Lyme disease. And I don't want to get into the politics of Lyme disease because like it's a very real disease. It affects a lot of people. But like the way Yolanda talks about it is not like typical. And also Yolanda was on a very big cocktail of drugs. And like she wrote a whole book about all the stuff she was taking. So like I don't need to get into it here. But her being like my daughter Bella, who is a vivacious 18 year old, why would she be so tired? And it's like, I don't know, Yolanda, you're also talking about the fact that like these girls don't eat. So maybe it's because they haven't eaten all day that they're fucking tired and exhausted. Um Yolanda's letter to Bella when Bella crashed her car into a pond. Um, terrifying. One of the wildest things ever released to the public. But, uh, oh no, I got so far away from it. But I want to talk about Alex and Simon being social climbers. <laughs> so Alex and Simon really reveal the inside workings of like how people try to move up in circles. And like old money, new money in New York is like a definitely a big topic, even though both are kind of just it's classist bullshit you know it's just the rich trying to separate themselves from each other <laughs> so alex and simon again go to the ballet open up the society pages the next day they get mocked in the reunion for that simon's very involved i think like this is when they really didn't know how involved the husbands would be in the show and so he clearly loves the camera and he loves getting in fights with ramona and stuff which is interesting and he always shows up to girls nights which is a big deal in the housewives world and i will say they're filming, so it's not just that there's a husband there. You know, it just changes the whole dynamic. They get mad when Reed shows up in season five with Aviva, and, like, Reed is like, I'm going to go stay in a hotel because some of these husbands, really, MVP champs. And most of them, though, not so much. But so Alex and Simon are social climbers, and so, like, they go out to the Hamptons, but they don't ha- – they haven't climbed yet. So they go out to the Hamptons in the winter, and then they go to St. Bart's in the summer, and it's pointed out by the by them and by the women that this is backwards because you go to St. Bart's in the winter and the Hamptons in the summer. But they don't have those connections yet. They don't they can't get a house in the Hamptons in the summer because one, it's very expensive and you need to know somebody who's going to rent you a place and they want to rent in the right place. Like they know enough to not rent on you know that side of the highway kind of thing. Uh, the houses that these women own in the Hamptons, by the way, are some of the nicest houses I've ever seen. Luann's house when she's selling it, like, oh, oh, it's such a nice house. Um, some of the interior decorating on this is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Jill Zarin's decor, like, redo of her apartment is atrocious. And yet the Hamptons houses are just immaculate. They are so stunning. But it's interesting to watch two people really like purposefully try to climb. And then you have people who are in the kind of like upper echelon philanthropy circuit. I don't know if Ramona Singer was a household name, you know, like at any time. Like, I don't know that she was in Vanity Fair. I don't know that she was in the society pages. But I do think that there is a certain like upper society crust ring of women and their their kids go to this, these schools and they live in the Upper East Side. And like what's interesting about Roni in the first season is that they constantly have chirons that show how much everything costs. So like they'll show Ramona's apartment and then across the bottom, it'll be like Ramona's co-op, like, you know, building co-op building three bedroom apartment in New York. And it's like 3.2 million. And it's just like so gauche and tacky. And I can't believe that they did it. But like they drop it after season one. But I kind of wish they would bring it back sometimes, just I'm fucking curious. Um, but, like, we see these women go through very real things and very real arcs. Like, on season one, we meet Countess Luanne de los Epps, who is literally married to a French count, and she was a girl from Connecticut who went to Italy and became a television host and had a very interesting life. And Luanne is, like, very sophisticated. And then she married a count. She became a countess. And by season- the end of season one, he had divorced her. And Luann had sang a song called Money Can't Buy You Class. And she'd also written a book called, like, How to, you know, Act Like a Countess or Be Polite. Like, she was a manners lady. Um, That was Luann's whole thing. And now Luann has really shown just a full arc of a human being. So you see her really go through her divorce and, like, go through some some weird ups and downs with, like, being public about it. People knew that her husband and her had, like, an open relationship, so that became a thing. She starts dating another guy. She goes on vacation and sleeps with a guy. Luann's very messy and open pretty much the whole time. Uh, If you've ever heard, like, 
it's is it about Tom? It's about Tom. That's that's Luann's Tom. Also D'Agostino's Tom. If you live in New York and shop at D'Agostino's, uh, the son of the guy was on The Real Housewives as somebody who had basically slept with half the fucking cast and then married Luann. It was not great for his image. <laughs> <laughs> and then he divorced her like six months in. It was not great. Um, Bethany had to tell her on a trip that he was caught cheating like after, like the story is really sad because basically Luann and him had been filming at this restaurant. Production was still around and he met up with another girl. Like Luann left and he stayed and another girl came and met up with him and then they were making out and like people took photos of it and then Bethany shows Luann on this trip and then Luann like divorces him like not soon. Like, you know what I mean? It's, these are very real things. Ramona and Mario are together for like 25 years and then she finds him cheating on her. And it's just like, you see her really go through, like you see these women really go through heartbreak and really go through like, who am I now? Like Luann like divorces her husband, you know? And then when her kids move out, I mean, her kids fucking, Luann has had some interesting shit. Like her kids sued her because she sold the house that was left to her in the divorce, but was also like theirs. Like it was left to her in the divorce with the caveat that it was also the kids. Cause like it was, you know, so, um, the kids sued her at one point, which is fucking fascinating. The way she talks about her kids is also weird. And you see Luann be kind of like a neglectful parent. Like in the first season, her kid is like, no, stop going out. Like I miss you being at home. And she literally like brushes his hands off of her and is like, no, it's fine. I'll be home later. And like, does not listen to him and just runs out the door. And the housekeeper like slash nanny who has raised them their entire lives is like, your mom's very busy, but she loves you a lot. And like, it's really fucking awkward. Um, to see them just be not great parents. Like when kids are involved, it's just not fun, which is why I think I do prefer the Housewives franchises where like the kids are not really involved. Like even in Beverly Hills, like they mention the kids occasionally or they'll be like running around in the background, but they're really like, they're not getting their own talking heads. They're not really the stars of the show. Um, But you really see Luann go through this. I'm getting off topic again, but like you really see Luann go through this whole arc where like, she gets divorced. She has like a serious long-term relationship. She gets a reputation for being somebody who's like, um, you know, having fun <laughs> with with many people. Um, Luann has a reputation for having a good time and having a lot of drinks. And then um, at one point, Luann got arrested. And like the way that she has gone through that experience, like very publicly is interesting. So Luann got arrested for something that like I am... Like, you know, abolish the prison system and, like, the carceral justice system because it's not justice. Um, But, like, Luann's arrest is really an interesting, like, example of the police state and how no no matter what, like, it you're not actually that protected from, from your own actions if they just decide to arrest you. So Luann is drunk one night and she ends up in the wrong hotel room. Now her key worked. She didn't like break and enter into this room, but she's drunk and she's confused. And I guess she was disorderly and resisted arrest. And so they arrest her. And then she goes through, like she now does charity work because she understands that like a lot of women who get trapped in the carceral system are actually just victims and just need help. And if we had actual like, community systems that these people could have relied on beforehand. A lot of them wouldn't end up in these. Like it's very human. Like it is, it is one of the most like growth kind of moments uh, that you can see in somebody because she really does help the other women on the show who dismiss the idea that people in prison don't like deserve to be there. It's like a very radical thing that she's doing. And I think Luann deserves a good amount of credit for that. Um, And she also is somebody who is, wildly selfish and very entertaining and does not understand that her cabaret career is based on memes and not because she's like extremely talented. But I love that she thinks she's extremely talented. She makes for excellent television. Be cool. Don't be all uncool. One of my favorite things in the world. I made eggs a la Francais. Also great. Those two lines from the same trip. The Turks and Caicos trip is one of the best trips ever because they all stay in a house and get absolutely wild. And it's the first hint that Dorinda is maybe not so stable when she's on vacations and away from her home base where there might also be some cooking because Dorinda needs an upper to like balance out with how much alcohol she drinks. And I think when she's having a little something extra on the side, she's able to balance. When she doesn't have that, she really like gets mean and like incoherent a lot faster. And you see after she breaks up with her 
boyfriend in the later seasons. I think that happens a lot more often. And based on the rumors about him and what they were doing together, I just think that it makes a lot of sense. Um, now that I have cast dispersions on that, that's interesting. Uh, but also, like, the alcoholism on the show is interesting. Like, you see a lot of alcoholism. The women talk about it. They call each other alcoholics. They talk about how you need to admit it before you can get help. Luann goes to rehab and then is later drinking in the show. And that becomes a whole topic of, like, can you drink at all or is everybody supposed to go abstinence only when it comes to alcohol and like sobriety I think is an individual journey for every single person on it but um I think it is an interesting like open discussion to have but I don't think Luann is a great spokesperson for the idea of non um you know abstinence because she doesn't have a great record of self-control when it comes to stuff and um yeah so like the alcoholism on New York is interesting because, like, Dorinda is is very, like, she gets very, like, noticeably slurry when she's on, um, when she's drank a lot. Sonia also has, like, big meltdowns. Sonia often, like, repeats herself in ways that you're like, okay, she's kind of, like, manic. Like, she doesn't fully know where she is. At one point, she's telling Carol Radswell, who was married to fucking Anthony Radswell, um, and was best like Carol was the only person at JFK Jr. and Caroline's wedding and like at one point Sonia is saying like I partied with John John Kennedy and like then nobody fucking called him John John who knew him and Carol's literally sitting there like please stop talking about my best friend who died very tragically three weeks before my husband and like oh Carol Carol Radswell dealing with like talking really openly about Anthony's death and like how it affected her to be a widow but also the fact that like I didn't know that the reason that John and Carolyn were like flying in to that airport that night that they crashed was because they were on their way to help her take care of Anthony because he was dying of cancer and they knew that he only had like three weeks left and so they were on their way to like help Carol through it and then on the way they pass away in like a freak plane accident like oh oh god Carol and like um, I think that her and Dorinda actually, like at one point in I think season five or six, she and Dorinda go to England because his ashes need to be picked up because the church that they were in got bought and turned into condos. It's actually like quite an interesting little moment um, because Carol keeps saying like, oh, he was really into pranks and this just feels like he's like pulling another one. But they go to a psychic before they leave and the psychic is very like weirdly on point about a lot of stuff that she wouldn't have known about otherwise. And they're all kind of freaked out and crying. And I always think that those scenes in the housewives are so interesting. They often go to like psychics or tea readers or like fortune. Like they do a lot of like interesting seancey stuff and they're always really moved by it. And I find it interesting every time. Um, But Dorinda and Carol go to England together and Dorinda lost her husband young. And like, just fun fact about Dorinda. um, She is who, in if you've ever seen Sex in the City, the episode where the woman gives Carrie a cashmere sweater um, and has a husband who yells a lot and then eventually goes back to him and brings Charlotte's uh, Jack Russell Terrier that she has for one episode. That woman, Susan Sharon, is apparently based on Dorinda. So at one point, Candace Bushnell shows up in Roni and asks Dorinda how she's doing. And she goes, how am I doing? Not well, bitch. And like, oh, it's a great line. Um, if somebody wrote about me and my husband that way, I would also be not nice to them. Um, but Richard very tragically passed away seven years before the show is airing. And so Dorinda is like, oh, my God, it's some of the most heartbreaking shit in the world. She says that it wasn't a burden to care for him, that it was an honor. And it just breaks your heart. And Carol is... Carol's not um, Carol wrote a book about being a widow and like what that experience was like for her. And so that she's kind of like known for that book on the show the whole time. But Dorinda and her really having like open and honest conversations about what it's like to be like a pretty young widow. And Carol says like Dorinda's the only other person her age who she knows who's lost a husband. And so they really bond over that. And I think that they share this like language and grief that really brings them together and I think that's really beautiful and I just don't know anywhere else on television that that's really depicted and they both lost their husbands really like tragically and are still kind of like gaining closure around it and they know that it's like the way that they talk about them is just like really beautiful and lovely and I think that it's a really um incredible demonstration of grief like and I think they forgot the cameras were there when they were having that conversation because they're really connecting with each other and like you can tell, like, Carol's even saying, like, I'm telling Dorinda things that I don't think I've ever said out loud before. And it's like, you're not just telling Dorinda, babe. You're telling us, too. Uh, Carol is a fascinating person. I think, like, she was really coaxed onto the Housewives, apparently. She was, like, one of Andy Cohen's friends. And then 
he was like, you need to come on the Housewives. You're so fabulous. And she like is, she's a very interesting person. And then she went on the Housewives. And I think Andy really betrayed her because Bethany Frankel is like the, you know, co-producer of the Housewives basically. And Carol thought that she and Bethany were actual friends. And Bethany was kind of like, I don't have actual friends on the Housewives. I have show friends on the Housewives. And like, she talked shit about Carol and her relationship. And Carol felt really betrayed and hurt. And at that point, um, Carol had kind of shown some, like, mean girl tendencies. So I don't think Carol had a lot of, like, sympathy left with a lot of the audience. And I think Bethany is such an iconic housewife because she was there from the beginning and then left and then came back. But the time that she was gone, she was having her own spinoff show that showed her getting pregnant and married. And, like, honestly, if you ever watch Bethany getting married, it is just, like, one woman's, like, manic race to get everything done before her child shows up. And it's not nice. And Jason clearly has some big red flags. And then... Pretty much, like, immediately after her daughter was born, like, not long, like, um, her husband, like, just turns into kind of a monster. And, like, she's going through this really public divorce and comes back to the Housewives. But she's such an iconic part of the Housewives because she was really, like, the audience surrogate in the first few because she didn't have a lot of money. And she was a struggling entrepreneur. And she had, like, Bethany Bakes and, like, Natural Food Chef. And she has a book called Naturally Thin um, that was a New York Times bestseller after season one, but they act like it was a New York Times bestseller because Bethany is such a hustler and not because Bethany was a real housewife because they didn't know how to address the real housewife of it all. So early on, whenever there's like a page six thing, like they'll kind of say like the media or the blogs (laughs) and they don't get specific about it. So going back and watching old episodes, like especially of Beverly Hills, because like they were talking to like delisted and like random blogs, like actual blogs and not page six. Uh, It wasn't an institution that was reporting on them. Uh, They sometimes talk about stuff that's just, like, confusing. But, like, speaking of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, again, really interesting depictions that I don't think you see anywhere else of women. And I think that these are, like, important and nuanced. And, like, women can contain multitudes. Bethany is, like, not a nice person, but she is a decent businesswoman when it comes to Skinny Girl. Like, I hate the fucking name. But, like, you know, she really did build a multi-million dollar brand on the back of, like ordering a cocktail without sugar in it so like good for fucking her (laughs) but in beverly hills especially like season one again you start off with a couple bangers so like there's kim and kyle richards who were sisters and kim and kyle were child actors and like once again i don't know how many child actors will have to come forward and say it was really fucking traumatic before we stop having child actors as a thing it's weird that we're like child labor is bad except if it's creative labor like there's another fucking k-pop kid who who debuted this week at 14 that's like i thought we weren't doing this anymore but like they it's it's almost like they can't resist because it's just so easy to mold them into whatever you need. Like, I can't think of anyone more agreeable and more willing to, like, practice again than a 14-year-old. But, like, ugh, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. I can't watch young BTS stuff because Jungkook is just too young. And I'm like, this is so exploitative. And he's about to turn 25 and he's been on camera since he was, like, 14. Anyway, um, I guess he's about to turn 24, 25? I don't know. I don't know if that's his Korean age or international age. Anyway... Um, Kim and Kyle are child stars <laughs> and they're also the aunts of Paris Hilton and their, their older sister is Kathy Hilton, who's Paris's mom. And they are another great, interesting, very dynamic relationship where like the whole first season, like there's some stuff going on. They definitely have sister fights, um, but it, it all kind of comes to a head in the last episode of the season. They're having a fight And it's like they're disagreeing on the treatment of one of the cast members or Kim is in a fight with Taylor. Kim's always in fights with people because Kim's not always so well behaved. And (laughs) sometimes Kim does things that don't seem to have an explanation, but they certainly got an explanation this night. So they're in a limo. It's weird. They're like randomly in a limo at the end of the night and they're like fighting. And Kyle starts kind of berating Kim and saying, like, do you know how much I've done for you? And this is this is what mom was so scared of, like really just digging in. Uh, Kyle brings out the claws quite a bit. Claws and caftans. That's Kyle's thing. Uh, And Kim shoots back at her. You stole my goddamn house, which is we've come to find out like Kim. um, Kyle's husband. Kyle's husband's name is Mauricio. I think he might even have his own reality show coming out about his agency or he was part of Million Dollar Listing. He's like a big real time real estate agent. Real time. He's a big real estate agent in. Beverly Hills, Los Angeles area. He's like a very well-established name. Kyle has so much goddamn money. So does Kim. Kim married a billionaire at one point. Kim is all set on money too. 
Um, so at one point, I guess like Kyle basically bought Kim's house out from under her, but like they co- like she it was some shady shit. Like Kyle has basically come out and been like, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, and Kim has really detailed all of it. And then Kyle fi- fires back that Kim is an alcoholic, which she wasn't supposed to say on camera. And they kept it in. And Kim is an alcoholic. And then Kim had to go through being outed as an alcoholic by her sister. And then Kim got arrested for shoplifting at Target. And it was very sad. And now Kim is not on the show. And the thing is, Kim is one of the best housewives of all time. Um, I love Kim Richards is like one of the most well-rounded depictions of a woman. I think just honestly, constantly trying her best. Um, And she's very interesting. And because Kyle's been there from the beginning... Kyle is really like a big dynamic driver in the show. And I don't love Kyle. I don't think she's a very entertaining person to watch, but she is a good housewife because she rolls with the punches and she's willing to change teams or she used to be willing to change teams. I feel like that's the problem with Beverly Hills now is that they're all kind of stagnant, but she used to really different seasons. You'd got a different Kyle who was willing to kind of team up with whoever. And like her and Lisa Vanderpump had a big falling out and Lisa Vanderpump rumored arms dealer just where does all of her money from um she says from nightclubs in london but like who um people have had theories about what went on in the back rooms of those nightclubs and lisa also her restaurants burn down way more often than they should and a lot of people have speculated that it is due to insurance claims because anytime she wants to redo the the you know thing it's a lot easier to do that with insurance money now we're going to get into some just, like, trigger warning for DV stuff. Um, but, like, the season one and two of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I've always had a moral dilemma with, like, the first time I watched it, I didn't know that this was happening, so I didn't have a moral dilemma then. But I think, like, I don't often go back and rewatch those episodes because Taylor Armstrong was dealing with a violent domestic abuse situation in which her partner was regularly beating her. And... He eventually took his own life and, um, like, due to, like, a business deal. But it's also because it was outed on the show by Camille Grammer, Kelsey Grammer's ex-wife, who on the first season was, like, one of the most hated housewives of all time and then turned it around by season two to be one of the most beloved. Taylor was really going through some really intense stuff. And, like, the show, the producers knew. Like, there's a lot that they knew that they were willing to, like, help her cover up. And she said which is one of the most heartbreaking things, but like she said that one of the reasons she went on the show is because she assumed that he would have to stop because she would be on camera. But like some of the husband, like one of the husbands on the show is like a famed plastic surgeon. He's on botched and stuff. And he does her plastic surgery. And like, he, like he knew that shit was going on. Like it's so horrific. And I just like, I know that like, I don't know who steps in in domestic violence situations, but I just can't imagine being a producer and like knowing what you know. And like, airing it you know what I mean and like they showed the aftermath and they they like I don't want to say they allowed Taylor to be on television but like after season two Russell like he he dies between seasons and on season three Taylor's regularly kind of breaking down on camera and they leave it in like the meme if you've seen the meme of like a woman yelling and like a cat like yelling back at her that's Taylor and like that is months after this happened and so there's Speaking of memes, I think that, like, Atlanta, I don't want to go too much longer, and I don't want to, like, squeeze out a bunch about Atlanta just, like, in the last 10 minutes, but, like, Atlanta and NeNe Leakes, I think, are, again, like, NeNe Leakes is a meme queen. She gets she gets used all of the fucking time. There's so many quotable moments from Atlanta, but I think with NeNe, like, she has been suing Bravo for a few years now for racial discrimination because they didn't pay her nearly what they should have been for how famous she was and how big she made the show. But also they gave a spinoff to the only white woman on Atlanta, Kim Zolciak, who was extremely, like, outwardly racist and fucking weird with the other women a lot of times. Like, it was deeply, it was deeply obvious what was going on and uncomfortable. And, and, like, Nini gets used a lot in reaction gifts. And, like, I do think that there is a certain level with, like, using images over and over again of black women where it does become kind of minstrelly. And I do think that, like... Especially on TikTok, there's a lot of like vocal blackface, I'm going to call it. I think that I don't know if that's the official term for it, but that's what it feels like. It's just like mimicking AVE and speech patterns. And it's uncomfortable to listen to because it's just like you you shouldn't be doing this. This is not Internet slang. This is this is like you're quoting Nini and you're making faces to try to approximate her faces. And like there's just so many iconic 
women on these shows. And I think like women don't get to exist in all of these roles as like mother and wife. And you see these women do like boudoir shoots and you see them. I mean, you see them go get waxed a lot. You see Sonia's naked butt like 17 times on the show. Um, You see them go on vacation and have fun away from their kids and like be worried. Like Heather Thompson, who like started um, a line of jeans called Yummy Tummy. It's like Spanx built in, but it was for like maternity wear and like like postpartum maternity wear. You see her go through like a lot of like deeply like the deep shit around her kids medical like um, journeys. And it's really you see a lot of layers to these women that you just don't get to see otherwise. And sometimes you strike gold and you get to see a husband who's super supportive and loves his wife and like thinks the world of her even when she makes a ton of money. And then you see a lot of husbands not be able to fucking deal with the fact that their wives made a bunch of money and now might make more money than them and might not need them to support them. And so they often do the exact same thing, which is they go cheat on them with a younger woman and it's fucking gross. But that's what happens over and over. And it's almost like it's the same reason that when a woman gets diagnosed with breast cancer, they warn her about her husband leaving her because men don't actually stay in sickness or health or financial um, paydays. Like Ramona was wealthy before she got with Mario, but like the dynamic on the show, certainly it became the Ramona show. And I think like a lot of men cannot handle playing second fiddle. And it's really interesting to see how that plays out just on the show itself. Um, Did I get to everything? I don't even think I talked about Vicky Gumbelson. So like the De- Desperate Housewives started Real Housewives of OC. Vicky Gumbelson is, um, she has, she was on the show for such a long time. She was on the show for 13 years. We saw her like, it was, you know, one of the most tragic moments in reality television is we see Vicky find out that her mother has passed away and she has a full breakdown in the kitchen. It is some of the most like intense television I think ever filmed. It's very raw and real. Um, but also Vicky is part of why on shows people regularly decide that people are lying about their cancer because Vicky dated a man named Brooks who lied about his fucking cancer. <laughs> and like in weird ways. And like on Real House of Atlanta, there's a whole ep- there's a whole arc where one of the women is lying about her due date and all the women are like, You can't just have a baby at six months. What are you talking about? Because she doesn't want to admit that it was nine months ago because then they would know that the dad is not the dad she's saying it is and it's it's a whole complicated thing um but like there are so many iconic moments in the housewives i feel like i didn't even touch on any of them watching them go on trips is fascinating especially the new york ladies because they never go anywhere less than fabulous because these are real really rich women and so they're like no we're going to turks and caicos we are actually going to st bart's we are staying in the nexus fucking places on those islands and so it's really lovely to watch i love watching a housewife pack oh my god um, give me more packing scenes. America's Princess Carol well, who now regularly on Twitter just complains about not getting things from um, Crate and Barrel. It's fucking fascinating. Um, Atlanta, she by Sheree. If there is one wish I have in this world it is that Sheree comes out with her clothing line. I have been waiting for this thing for so fucking long at this point, Sheree. Come on, you can do it. Sheree is another just incredible housewife who you see go through some turmoil also. Um, she has some of the most famous lines ever uttered and she has been having this clothing line, She by Sheree, that has been in limbo for like over a decade and I just need her to put out one thing because nothing, like one of the funniest lines in Atlanta in, in all of Housewives history is, it is, she throws a fashion show for She by Sheree and she does not have any fashions and Dwight shows up and he goes, fashion show with no fashions. How dreadful. It is perfect. So, yeah, the husbands and the relationships. I mean, Bobby Zarin forever. Like, Jill is a fucking nightmare, but Bobby really did deeply love that woman, um, as evidenced by the fact that when he comes home to that made-over apartment, he's like, whatever you want, Jill. Also, like, the moment of Bobby and Bethany when it's Scary Island and Jill shows up in her iconic, hi, um, when the women are getting many pennies. Bethany tries to, like, talk shit about Jill because she and Jill were going through a whole thing. Because, again, real women having, like, icy, weird, fucking layered friendship, complicated narratives, which is so good. Um, Show me more complicated women on television. Um, Jill basically thought that Bethany got too big for her britches and was trying to take her down, but also didn't want her to get her own spinoff. So she was trying to ice her out by not having the rest of the women fill scenes with her. And then Bethany got wind of this and decided to cut Jill out. And so it becomes this whole like Jill versus Bethany thing. They're on a, sh- they're on a trip for like Ramona's like second bachelorette thing. Kelly Gloran Ben Simone is there who I didn't even mention. And she's my favorite intro package of all time. Cause she's running in New York traffic in front of taxis and it makes no sense. And her hair is down. I don't know how you run with your hair down Kelly and Bethany, um, 
is it's it's called Scary Island because Kelly has like a full meltdown the night before and Bethany's pregnant and her father has just passed away and Jill, this woman she's fighting with, randomly shows up to drop it and try to like make a surprise happen because Jill's on the show and she wants airtime. Um, and then all of the women start shaking and freaking out and crying and so Jill is made to leave and I don't think that would happen anymore but it is so funny that it happens then. But anyway, when they show up, Jill um, is talking to Ramona and Bobby and Bethany are kind of over to the side and Bobby's like, I'm not going to talk shit about you, like about Jill with you. And Bethany's like, yeah, fair enough. And, but like, oh, Bobby really was like, I don't think there's a better word for Bobby's in than just like a full mensch. Like he was really a lovely man. And I think it's really interesting to see um, all the different strokes and different folks of New York City. Um, but obviously Bravo has like a long way to go. I think it's great that they're starting to um, integrate their shows much more and try to represent some of the actual diversity that exists in these places. I do think that it brings up a lot of um, interesting like insight into the fact that because they're trying to do this, but they're not fundamentally changing their network's diversity, they don't actually have a lot of ground or space to talk about the issues that become prevalent when you're dealing with a group of primarily black women. Like on Potomac, there's a lot of colorism discussion that happens because the green-eyed bandits are all banded together. And like, there's very obviously colorism happening. And so for the last reunion, they brought out Nicki Minaj to to mediate an entire section of the reunion because Andy was just like, I don't know how to discuss this. And I think that that's like interesting that they at least admitted it, but that was only after fans had a lot of backlash because Andy doesn't know how to handle anything with race because he's a fucking white gay dude. Like he's not, he's not able, to, he doesn't have the vocabulary and I don't think he has like really honestly the confidence to wade into any social justice issue because the minute these shows bring up social justice you really have to look at the entire show and how it's just propping up cap but like classism as well as all of the other pitfalls of capitalism and the pitfalls of american society and how racist it is in like day-to-day life and the fact that like a lot of these women on new york i don't think were advocating for bringing on women of any other color than white like it is like new york it's not just about adding like black women to the cast it's like we had jules who was an asian jewish woman who shows up in one season and then is basically bullied off the show because she was open about the fact that she had an eating disorder and carol and bethany really did not like that because it made it and bethany is trying to blame it on the fact that she's like oh my mom had an eating disorder and it's like bethany you wrote a book called naturally thin honey and your name your you named your company skinny girl i don't know who you think you're fooling with like your mom only had it like anyway Sorry, I feel like I get really mean about the fact that these women, like, are all very obviously have, like, some sort of disordered eating. But, like, I just think it's so disingenuous. Like, I think really Jules was very brave for being as open as she was about it. And they um, couldn't really handle it. And they bullied her basically the entire time she was on the show. And it's really weird to see. But, like, they really, like, it's New York. It's one of the most diverse places in the world. And you're telling me there's not a single woman who is not white who you think is interesting enough to cast on this show. Like, come on, bravo. But then they, they, you know, like... The problem is this last season, I think they just cast one black woman and then she had to shoulder all of the burden of trying to teach Ramona Mar-a-Lago fucking member singer about racism and about how Ramona perpetuates it just by living in a racist society. Like Ramona is not reading White Fragility by by Robin. That's a Caroline Calloway reference. I'm not actually saying anybody should read the book White Fragility. Um, But like it just feels very like they put a ton of pressure on Ebony um, who showed up and was really just like there for one season. And then like that sucks too because then it's like they get to point and be like, oh, we tried and she didn't work. And it's like, oh, you didn't really try. Like you kind of plopped her in and like made her have showdowns with white ladies every single week. So like her entire personality was just like being like an educator, like a social justice educator. And she should have just been able to go in and be friends with these women and have drama the same as any other woman gets to kind of have in their first season. So I think Bravo is like definitely trying to do some stuff, but like, I don't know that they have a lot of like the infrastructure to handle it in the best ways but i do think bringing out Nicki minaj was like a step in the right direction i don't know if they'll ever be able to completely nail it but i do think that the real housewives deserves its place in the pantheon and with that i've been recording for an hour so i'm gonna stop here uh, if you'd like me to review any particular episodes or seasons or something like that. I would be totally down. Um, I feel like I watched a bunch of the New York trips because I thought that I was going to talk about the New York trips, but it's just like, it gets so bogged down in like this person and this person. Um, but I think that those are some really fun ones. If you've never watched any of the shows before, 
it can obviously be really intimidating to start, but just know you don't have to watch all of them. They go by pretty quick. They're great kind of background noise because they recap a lot. So like you can get the essence of the show pretty easily at any given time. And um, yeah, I would say that it's, if nothing else, you can always watch it anthropologically because it's very fucking fascinating no matter which way you slice it. And I don't, I obviously don't condone all of the behavior by the women on the show. I think there's really abhorrent shit that they let slide past. There's, uh, I didn't even get into Luann's fucking crimes against humanity, but like, ooh, she's got some. Um, so more depictions of interesting, nuanced, and um, complicated women on television. And until then... We've got the housewives. <laughs> so I hope you have a great rest of your morning, day, evening, night. Um, I will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Smoke Show. You can follow me on Twitter at HiClaire with two eyes, And uh, leave a comment either here or sub- like on Substack or um, if you're listening to this on iTunes or anything. Hey, why don't you uh, give me a review? And if you've uh, listened this far, thank you so much. Um, I'm not sure what I'm talking about next week, but... Um, We'll find out together, I guess. Okay. Have a good one, and I'll talk to you later. Bye.